today standing for the reading of the Scripture. Hundreds of years before Jesus would come to this earth, the prophet Isaiah spoke and penned these words. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about His appearance, nothing to attract us to Him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on Him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weakness He carried and it was our sorrows that weighed Him down. And we thought His troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for His own sins. But He was pierced for our rebellion and He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole and He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own and don't we know it? Yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. He was oppressed. He was treated harshly, yet He never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, He did not open His mouth. Unjustly condemned, He was led away. No one cared that He died without descendants, that His life was cut short midstream, but He was struck down for the rebellion of people. He had done no wrong. He'd never deceived anyone, but He was buried like a criminal and laid in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush Him and cause Him grief. Yet when His life is made an offering for sin, He will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in His hands. When He sees all that is accomplished by His anguish, He will be satisfied. And because of His experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for He will bear our sins. I will give Him, the Lord says, the honours of a victorious soldier because He exposed Himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels, even rebels like you and me. You may be seated. think 
you know all about something until you realise you don't. You can think you've got it figured out until you realise you don't. Katie had one of these experiences recently. (laughs) Who here knows the Breathmans, Fisherman's Friends? Katie was recently offered one and said, no thank you, I don't suffer from seasickness. (laughs) It was like a revelation. These Fisherman's Friends were Breathmans. Some of us here, maybe we've heard about the cross. Maybe we remember back to Sunday school. Maybe we remember just someone saying something at one point. Maybe we picked up the Bible even at some point and we might have even read a little bit of it and we didn't know what to make of it. Some of us, this is our manyth Easter where we've dived back into the story to let it shape us again. We can think we know something, but I hope tonight we can just look at it from some different angles and perhaps see something new in it that we haven't seen before. Or perhaps be reminded about something in it that we forgot. Or perhaps something in it might come to life that has been drowned out by our lives once again. It's not so much about understanding the cross, understanding the resurrection. It's about the story. It's about letting the story shape us. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that the good news isn't the understanding of the cross. The good news is the story itself of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me, Paul says. And here is the good news. Here is the earliest, shortest summary. Christ died for our sins. Just as the Scriptures said, He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day. This is the good news. And if you're someone like me, I want to be like, how did He save me on the cross? How does it work? What's the magic behind it? How does the science work? How does cross plus Jesus' blood equal my salvation? And I wanna wanna dive in and I wanna understand it. How did you do that through the cross? But I'm quite confronted by the fact that the Scripture seems to offer very little explanation on the details of how God uses a cross to save us. It paints pictures, it uses metaphors, but nothing of the exact explanation 2023 Joel is conditioned to desire from God. So I invite us 
tonight to not so much look for an explanation, but just into the story. This is the good news that He died for our sins. And on the third day, He was raised. He came, He died, He was raised, He was seen, and faithful witnesses have passed it on. And you know why I believe in Jesus? It's not just because someone told me about Him, just because I read about Him. I know He lives because I know Him. And perhaps tonight God might want to bypass your defences and your arguments, maybe even your excuses, and just become real to you. So that you can go, I don't believe because the Bible says, I don't believe because someone told me, I believe because I have met Him for myself. And in my heart of hearts, my soul of souls, in the deepest place of my being, I know this to be true. Let us into the story. You know at people's funerals, they don't so much talk about their death as you talk about somebody's life, right? You don't dwell on how they died, although there's something somber and important about dwelling in the awkwardness of Friday. Like we know Sunday's coming, but we need to embrace the, the, the humbling, the sobering reality of Friday. I don't know why in all of its fullness, but the God of all of this universe laid aside His Godness He chose to become bound within time and space to enter this world not as a king, but as an infant in a very fragile, rough time. I mean, if you're God and you're choosing which period in history you should show up, first century Israel, you know, I'm gonna pick 2023 New Zealand over there any day. As far as my odds of surviving, let alone, you know, childbirth, let alone growing up to be a child and into adulthood, but God subjected Himself to that. And not just to an existence of humanity, but the existence of a servant-based humanity. He humbled Himself, Philippians 2 tells us, and became a servant of all and humbled Himself even to the point of death so that God might raise them up, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. So we look to His life because in His life, I think we discover new things about His death. I think we can see the cross more clearly when we see it in the context of Jesus' overall mission, when we see it in the context of His big story, when we dwell on His life, when Jesus at the cross, and Katie read it earlier, with Jesus, His final words, it is finished. We should wonder, well, what is finished? 
What was he living for all of these years that he completes in this beautiful mystery of the cross? And so I thought we would just dwell on six or seven of those things just for a few minutes each. So that as we're, I guess, maybe like, if you would twirl the cross, and look at it through some different angles and different reflections, we might see something we've forgotten or see something we've never seen before. Jesus said of his life that he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. The cross, I think we have some things that you can follow along with up here, hopefully, team. The cross, Jesus is showing us that he has come to seek and save the lost. We can see it through the lens of lost and found. Jesus tells these profound stories. He's like, if you wanna know what I'm doing in this earth, he's like, imagine, imagine like someone's lost a sheep and yeah, they've got all the sheep back home, but one sheep. I'm like that person that's gone out to find the one who didn't come home. And I've left the 99 and I'm gonna go out and search until I find it. And when I find it, I'm gonna pick it up. I'm gonna carry it and I'm gonna bring it back and we're gonna have a party because what was lost has become found. Because it's like a coin. If it lost a coin in a couch, <laughs> doesn't quite capture it. Like, eh, change, eh. But then he tells a story about a son who didn't know what he had at home, left it all and lost it all and found himself so lost so far away from home. And he's the father that longs for the son to come home. We can see the cross through this lens of lost and found, and we can see the suffering of Jesus as like the battle wounds to find us. Sort of like Liam Neeson and what he had to endure to get his daughter back. This is the cross. This yeah, sometimes people get caught up with like, is God punishing Jesus on the cross? And there can be these confusing things. Some of these other lenses can be helpful to see it. It's like, it's like, no, this is what he had to endure to be the one who finds lost things. This was the pathway of finding. Maybe you find yourself here tonight feeling overwhelmingly or maybe just a little lost. Jesus on the cross is the search party coming to look for you. Jesus is the name of the God who's come looking for you. Every other version of religion has us looking for God, but Christianity has a God looking for us. No, wherever you're at tonight, you might feel like you're so lost, but you're only one decision away from being found. You're only one decision away from having every point of reference that you need to find your way through life and to be able to say, I'm home again. Lost, found. Maybe we could see it through the lens of like the great doctor. Jesus said of his life, of his mission, he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And he pictures himself as this great physician that has come to heal. And, and you know, we, 
predominantly think of sin as, as like missing the mark, as like a debt to be paid. But the ancients firstly thought of sin more as a sickness as an infection, as a virus that had invaded every human soul that needed to be healed, not a debt that just needed to be paid. And I think there's something beautiful when Jesus says, I've come my life, I've come. I've come for the sick. I've come for those who know that they're not well and they need to be well. I don't know if you've ever found that way. It's like in the words of Paul, like I don't wanna sin, but I find myself sinning. It's like the sickness takes over. I don't know if you've found yourself, just you think I'm, I'm gonna get rid of this thing. This is my week, this is my day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be better. I need to find yourself facing it all over again. And you're sort of like, man, this sin, it's not just mistakes. It's not just getting things wrong. It's like a sickness that has my life. And I need the great doctor to come and bring the remedy, the remedy of His blood, the potent remedy of His sacrifice. If you're here and you found yourself, you're so aware of your darkness, you're so aware of the the things that are not right in you, know that as you look to the cross, you see not just the great doctor, but you see the great doctor pouring out the ointment, the medicine, his very blood for our sickness. Man, we could could keep looking through different lenses. Another one would be, this one's a bit strange. You could see him as like the bronze serpent serpent. There's a story in the Old Testament Scriptures, if you're not familiar with it, and the people are plagued by snakes. The Israelites and the wandering in the desert, they're plagued by snakes and the snakes are biting at them. They're getting poisoned. They're dying and the people cry out to God for help. And God has the weirdest solution. He tells Moses, fashion a bronze snake wrapped around a pole, put it in the center of camp, hold it up high, tell the people, if you look to the very thing you're afraid of, (laughs) super weird, uh, if you look, if you look to this thing in faith, if you look to it, you'll be protected and you'll be healed. If you get bitten, just look to it and you will not die. And there's, there's layers of imagery in this, but listen, I better open my notes, otherwise we'll be here all night. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter three, verse 14. He says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He sent His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. He would later say in John chapter 12, verse 32, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, Jesus says, I will draw everyone to myself. When we look at Jesus on the cross, We see not just His healing work, but we see the essence of how we might access what God does. That it's not through some clever process. It's not through some 
special ritual. It's not through some long obedience in the same direction. It's by looking to Jesus. It's like, that's weird, God. Like, just make us take some medicine or just take the snakes away. And the snake is obviously a picture of back to the Garden of Eden, the serpent, the tempter, the one who he said one day, one will come, the seed will come of the woman and will crush the serpent's head. And so Jesus on the cross is reversing the curse of sin. And he's saying, just look to me and you will receive. Look to me in faith and you will receive. It's by faith, not by works. Jesus absorbed the curse in His own blood, purifies it like an anti-venom to this world. We could look at it through the lens of the atoning sacrifice. Every year, Israelites would be very familiar with the Day of Atonement. Every year it's celebrated, they would get two goats they would bring them into the temple. They would get one goat and like the sins of the nation would sort of be in a sense laid on that goat and it would be sacrificed. And it, they didn't sacrifice it thinking like, cheers goat, you paid for our sins. Like that's not their sort of like mindset. Like that could never pay for the sins. If that was true, Jesus wouldn't need to come. But it was more like, God, we thank you that you've been merciful to us for another year and you haven't counted them against us. And then they would take the second goat, the one who got to live, and it would become the scapegoat and they would figuratively, I guess, lay the, the priest would lay the hands, would take on the sin, lay the hands on the goat and they would send it out, out from the camp, out from the nation. And there's no doubt that Jesus saw his life, even though he never says he's a goat, um, he is the greatest of all time, but, but we call him a lamb, but there's no doubt the imagery is of the atoning sacrifice. It says John the Baptist, when he saw him, before he would baptise him in John 1 verse 29, it says the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. In Romans 3 verse 25, it says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For He was looking ahead and including them in what He would do in this present Jesus time. God did this to demonstrate His righteousness, for He Himself is fair and just, and He makes sinners right in His sight when they believe in Jesus, when they look to the one who was lifted up. We could look at it, I guess when we look at the atoning sacrifice, we're just reminded that it's paid in full. It's one and done. It's done for all time. There's no need for the continual sacrifice other than us to lay our lives down in response to Him. That would be the only reasonable response is for our lives to become a type of sacrifice. He's not just the atoning sacrifice, he no doubt saw his mission as the Lamb of God, more like the Passover Lamb. Some of you will be familiar with the story of, you know, the people leaving Egypt, let my people go, Moses. I think I remember hearing that story for the first time through the great cartoon series, Rugrats. 
a Jewish cartoon, you know. It was a Jewish family. They were Jewish babies. Let my people go. And in the story, there's 10 plagues and the 10th plague, the spirit of death is gonna pass over the whole land of Egypt. And the people of God are given a heads up about it. And they're invited. And there's so much symmetry in this story to the story of Jesus. It's not just a story about what is. It's like a prophetic story of what would happen. They were told to take a lamb into their own house. And they would have to do this, not just on the day of, they would have to do this five days before. So in Palm Sunday, last Sunday, when we're celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry, when Jesus is walking into the city of Jerusalem, thousands of lambs are being brought into the city of Jerusalem, ready to be purchased by people, to be taken home, given a cute name, little lammy, little Johnny the lamb or whatever, because you had to love the sacrifice for it to be meaningful. It had to mean something to you. So you had to have it in your home, it had to have a name. And then on Friday, they would sacrifice these lambs and in the story of the original Passover, they would take the blood and they'd put it over the doorpost, over the sort of entryway to their home, over their household. And it would say that 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 blood represented the invitation of God's presence into that home. And His presence would be the the protection as death passed over. And death would skip that house. And Jesus is no doubt our Passover lamb. Christ, in 1 Corinthians 5, I think verse seven and eight, Christ, our Passover lamb. There you go, it's pretty clear. He's been sacrificed for us all. So let us celebrate the festival, not with old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. We could see it through the lens of redemption and jubilee. You know, every... I love the economic system that God invented for the Israelites, but we won't get into that like tonight, but I just love it, it's genius, okay? It would solve most of our problems. Uh, but every 50 years, everybody, every Israelite had an allotment of land by family and clan. And every 50 years, it didn't matter what you did, if you'd lost the land, if you'd made some bad business deals, if you'd, you know, suffered from addiction and you sold everything in your worst moment and you found yourself throwing away your inheritance, your, you know, like your, your, your rightful possession. You'd found yourself living life so badly, which I think many of us can identify with in different seasons of our lives. Like, man, I screwed it up. I lost everything. I, I, I lost it. And, and within the Israelite system, every 50 years, it would have to get reset. Everything had to return. And I love that because it's like within the Jewish system, most people would at least get one fresh start in their lifetime if they stuffed everything up. Jesus is our fresh start. He is our redemption. Redemption doesn't mean just fixing something. It means using it and turning it for good, restoring it. It's, it's, it's not just made like getting it back. It's like somehow using what was lost for something better in the future. But there was also this other rule within the Israelite system. And that's if you had lost everything, there could be another family member, a kinsman redeemer, one who was of your clan, of your lineage, of your tribe. And they could come along and it didn't matter who you sold it to, who you lost your inheritance to, who you lost your possession to, they could come along and they had the right to purchase it back. Your kinsman redeemer. 
Jesus comes looking like us so that He might be our kinsman redeemer. Oh, we got it wrong. Oh, we stuffed it up. Oh, we sold our birthright. Oh, we wandered away. But our kinsman redeemer has come. Redemption has come. When we look at Him on the cross, He's like, I'm giving it back. I'm giving back what you lost. And last but not least, because it is the way most of us are mainly taught to see the cross, is He paid our ransom. Mark 10 verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. 1 Timothy 2 verse 6, There is one God and there is one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave His life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. He's paid for our release. He's paid for our freedom. Through sin, we have been held captive, but Jesus came to pay the release price. Who did He pay it to? We didn't pay it to God because God wasn't holding us captive. He didn't pay it to Satan because God doesn't owe Satan anything. He didn't pay it to the law because the law is not above God and God is not bound to a law He creates. So who did He pay it to? He paid it to death itself. Death is the gateway to which Christ would raid death of all that it held captive. He paid the price that death demanded, which was death. But in it, He entered as the holy unblemished one and so death could not hold Him. And so he led everyone that death was holding out to freedom. Freedom is available to every single one of us. When we look at the cross, which is it? Which, which speaks to you, the lost and found, the doctor, the healing serpent, the atoning sacrifice, the Passover lamb, the redeemer, What speaks most to your situation of where you're at right now? Because I can tell you if you need Jesus to be one of these things in your life, He can be one of these things. He's already is all of these things. And we could put over the banner of all of this wandering. Look, I mean, we could write many more lists. We could look at it through the lens of love and the lens of grace and the lens of mercy and the lens of peace and the lens of hope. We could look at it through all of these lenses, but it doesn't matter which lens you look at it, you come to the same conclusion. When you look at the cross, it's the victory of Christ. It's the victory of God. Yes, He's purchased my freedom. Yes, He's saved my sins, but gosh, He's done so much more than that. He's conquered death. 
He set the captives free. He's shown his wisdom to every principality and power. He's disarmed every spiritual force. He's put the ticking time bomb on when he's gonna come back and his victory will be displayed in all of its fullness, but he's already accomplished it. The victory of Christ. Yes, let's let it be personal. Oh, he saved me. Oh, thank you. But let's not let it be just personal. Let's let it be global. Let's let it be universal. Let's let it be have the grandeur that it has. Yes, He saves you, but He's doing so much more than that on Good Friday. As we come around His table and we take His body represented by the bread and we take the juice representative of His blood. I want you to see tonight that these things are not just symbols, but we are partaking of Him. We are letting Him be what sustains us. His body broken for us and His blood poured out for us. And as we come, we might look at the beauty of the cross, the gruesome beauty of the cross. And we should wonder what would an appropriate response be? The invitation as we come to the table is to examine ourselves, to not take it in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Making light of what Christ has done and treating this as just another religious flippant ritual. I said flippant. It's to go, if I call myself a Christian and my God's a God who gives up His life for me and says, if you wanna follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Is that my posture towards my God? Or have I stayed in the infancy? Have I just invite warm, fuzzy Jesus into my heart? That might be the way we begin, but it, it is not the way of matured followership of Jesus. And so as we come to the table, what better week than on Easter weekend to go, am I responding to His sacrifice in the way He actually asked me to? If you wanna follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Because all who try to cling on to their life, will lose it. It'll evaporate through their fingers. But all who give up their lives for my sake, Christ says, they will find life.